Can you please turn with me to the book of James? We're going to look at James chapter 1. We're going to look at two verses this morning, verse 19 to 21. And uh, just to remind you, uh, before we did the little series on revival, I was preaching a series called Dazzling Christianity, which really is a series about revival as well. It's about personal revival. And we're going to continue this morning. It's part 12 of the series of Dazzling Christianity. And uh, we're going to look at two verses this morning. And I trust that God's going to speak to you, encourage you, refresh you, and that God's going to do something wonderful with all of us as we go forward this year. Really want to encourage you in terms of the life groups. Um, get yourself involved. Uh, commit yourself to a life group. It's the way to grow. For me, it's a, it's a basic um, uh, building block that you can really open your heart and find friendship and really let God knit you into a family. And it's wonderful to be together on Sundays. But there's also something extraordinary that happens when we get together in smaller groups. And that's really what we want to encourage you with this year. So James chapter 1 verse 19 um, says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It's a really challenging verse, uh, these couple of verses. And so, Father, I just pray for the preaching of your word now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for all that you've done in this meeting already. I thank you for the worship. I thank you just for that sense of your presence with us. And God, I pray that you would help me now to communicate well. I pray, Jesus, that every word that is from you would take root in our hearts this morning. And I pray, Lord, that which is not from you would die. They would not, would not take root anywhere. But God, I pray that you would help us to understand what you want to teach us through your word. I thank you for your word, which transforms us, which encourages us and refreshes us and builds into our lives. And I bless your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the last time that I preached uh, out of James... I looked at the first half of these two verses and I just looked at that thing of the scripture saying, let every person be quick to hear and slow to anger and slow to speak. And um, what James is trying to stress in these couple of verses is that for all of us as Christians, that w- that's what we're called to do. We're called to be quick to hear the word of God, slow to speak unwisely, slow to speak uh, without considering what we are saying. And the points that I stressed, there were three points that I stressed last time, and I just want to remind you because it has been a couple of weeks. Um, the first thing that James wants to encourage us in, in, in those couple of verses is that we are those that live by the Word of God. We live by the Word of God. Everything that the Holy Spirit quickens to us through His Word, we take to heart and we live by that. And so James really is encouraging us to walk by the Spirit. He's not encouraging us to walk by a moral code. He's not encouraging us just to live by rules. He's saying, no, in all that you do, be quick to hear the voice of God. When the voice of God speaks to you and you know whether it's through the Word or through someone else and you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit, be quick to respond to that. Be a person that walks by the Spirit. And I want to remind you this morning, it costs God everything to bring his word to us. It cost him his son. It cost Jesus everything to come and live amongst us and to to go to the cross on our behalf. It cost him everything. And so the second thing I emphasized was that to not live like that is to grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, I spoke about spiritual deafness. I spoke about sin being 
that which deafens the voice of the Spirit in our lives. And that's why God says, when you're aware of sin, repent of it. Because actually, when, when there's sin, your ears are getting blocked. You can't hear my voice when, you, when you're full of the world. And uh, so when God speaks to us, um, we must be those that are quick to respond by the Spirit and say, yes, Lord, I hear your voice and I'm going to respond. And so I spoke around the whole thing of, of being angry, about um, being people that are unforgiving. And I, I want to say this, anger and unforgiveness are victory for the devil every single time. Any anger in our lives, any bitterness in our lives, any unforgiveness, any keeping people at an arm's length is really a victory for the devil. It's not, it's not what God has for his church. And so my final encouragement to you last time was this, is that it cost Jesus everything. It cost Jesus everything to come and pay the price for us on the cross. Amazing outpouring of his grace for us on behalf of all of us that are saved. That's a gift that he gives. He doesn't take it back. It's a permanent gift. Once we're saved, we are saved, and we live by the Spirit, okay? There's no shadow of turning. God doesn't, God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't hold grudges against us at all. He forgives us completely. And I, I said this, this great debt of love that we have to Jesus. And surely, if that is what we've enjoyed, absolute and total forgiveness, the grace of God poured out upon us, who are we to not extend that to other people? Surely, <laughs> surely that's part of, of living by the Spirit, is that we become a community that extends love and forgiveness, thinking the best of each other, not being bitter, not being angry, not taking sides, all that stuff. Surely that is the result of the Spirit of God transforming us from the inside out. Yes? Okay. So I want to look at this second half of the verse this morning because James really, what he's doing is, is kind of answering in, the set, in verse 21, he's asking, he's answering an underlying question. It's a very practical question. It's how can I be quick to hear and how can I be slow to anger? And here in this portion this morning is one of those magnificent moments that you find in the scripture. It's a therefore moment. There are a couple of key therefore moments in the scripture in the New Testament which are absolutely profound. And here is one of them. James says this. He says, therefore, throw away moral decay, moral filthiness, and rampant wickedness. Whenever you see a therefore in the New Testament, you can assume a couple of things. You can assume that there's a major conclusion that is coming, and you can assume that there's some practical advice coming. Whenever you see therefore, right? And so James's first advice to us, all of us that are to be quick of hearing and slow to anger, the first thing he says, put away moral decay, put away that, and put away wickedness, and hear the voice of the Spirit. That's his first advice to us. It's practical advice. And um, what he's saying, and I've called this message, dignifying the new man. And I said to Helen this morning, after I prayed, I said, I wonder if there's another way that I can put that that's more sort of snappy. <laughs> but actually, dignify is a good word. Dignifying the new man. That's what James is calling us to do, to give dignity to the new creation that God has made us to be. And the word, uh, Greek word here for put away, put off, is apothomenoi. Apothomenoi. We're going to have a look at that in a, in a, in a, short, while, in a short while. But he's encouraging us. James is saying everything, everything that represents the old man, you put that off. You put that off. God has saved you. Dignify what God, the new thing that God is doing in your, in your life. Don't dignify the old. Uh, lust and anger and all that. That's part of, that's the old. 
that power of sin has been crucified in your life. You can no longer say sin made you do it because the power of sin has been dealt with in your life. Put away the old man. Put him off. And enjoy the new that God is doing. And um, that reminds me of Paul. Isn't it incredible? I said to you before that this is the first letter that, ja- that is written to the New Testament. Probably the first letter. And Paul comes along 70 years later and he writes all the epistles. And yet the language is the same. The thought and the logic is the same in the book of James as it is with Paul. It's incredible. The Holy Spirit speaks to people 70 years apart and he gets them to say exactly the same thing without meeting each other, without speaking to each other. Isn't that incredible? The Holy Spirit, when he speaks, he says the same thing to everyone. The same logic, the same thinking, the same theology that Paul has, James has. And he has another, there are three other great therefore moments I want to speak to you about. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Romans 8.1, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. We've looked at these things in the past. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, Paul says, I appeal to you. This is the warm logic of the gospel. The gospel never beats you over the head. The gospel is always an invitation. Always, always, always an invitation to you. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. I'm appealing to you. I'm not telling you. I'm appealing to you, brothers, in the light of God's mercy, in the light of God's grace, Offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. That's what he's saying. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And the, 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 the teaching of the New Testament is that wherever Paul speaks about justification, wherever he speaks about the gospel, wherever he speaks about the cross, the therefore moments follow that. You're getting what I'm saying? So wherever he speaks about the gospel, he's saying it's considering your salvation, considering the gospel in your life, considering the grace of God in your life, I want to ask you to to follow it with some things. That's what Paul always says. And that's exactly what James is doing in this portion. And for me, that is absolutely extraordinary, that God would so coordinate things by the, the Spirit that Paul and James would be saying the same thing to the church. James is saying, considering all that Jesus has done for you, Considering all that the gospel has already done for you in your life, put away moral filthiness, put away wickedness. Don't dignify the old man. Strangle the old man. Yes? Strangle the old man. Why should that be? Well, I want to, this is one of those things that um, I believe the blood of Christ has broken the power of sin in our lives. And yet I believe we are not perfect. This is my theology. I'm convinced of it. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, While perfect restoration to the divine image awaits the day of Christ's appearing, we will be completely perfect one day when Jesus comes back. All right? The work of restoration is going on now. There's a slow but steady transmutation. I love that word. Transmutation of the base metal of human nature into the gold of God-likeness. I love that. The gold of God-likeness. Affected by the faith-filled gaze of the soul at the glory of Jesus. The face of Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying, of course we saved. Of course we regenerate. Of course God has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But there are some things of the old man that's 
try to come up again. And we have to put those things off. We have to dignify the new man because we're in this process of transmutation. What is perfect in heaven, one day will be perfect in this body. And I will be completely perfect in every way when Jesus comes back. Not before. The fundamental thing of perfectionism for me is dishonest. It is saying that you are never angry. It is saying that you are, all your motives are pure. It is not true. Until Jesus comes back, I am being transformed into his likeness. I am not yet perfect. My salvation is perfect. Absolutely. But my body is following along because it's not glorified yet. One day it will be glorified. That's what Tozer is saying. And what I'm saying to you this morning, in the light of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, what James is saying is our lives need to reflect the grace of God. That's what he's saying. It's a simple point. He's making a very simple point. Considering the gospel, considering what Jesus has done on your and my behalf on the cross, what kind of people should we be? Simply people that reflect the grace of God. That live in the grace of God. Those that are enjoying the slow but steady transmutation of the base metal of our lives as we look and gaze upon Jesus and we are fully transfixed with him and we look upon his glory and he transforms us. That's what we are enjoying. And one day we will be perfect. One day we will be glorified. One day I will be able to not pay airfares anymore and just be, wish that I was in Hong Kong and I will be there with a glorified body. And this word apothemenoi, the one that I've just spoken about, about putting off, putting off, putting off, it's the same word that Paul uses over and over and over in the New Testament. Romans 13, 14, he says this, let us walk properly as in the day. Not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling, not in jealousy. What is he saying? He's saying, no, 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 those behaviors, those behaviors, they are from the old that's dead. They're not appropriate to you anymore. You're a new creation. You're a new person. You don't want to be like that anymore, so put it off. Every time it tries to come up again, you just... By the power of the Holy Spirit, you give it a good smack and say, I will not tolerate that behavior in my life anymore. And he goes on, he says, put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision. Apothemonoi. Put off, make no provision. Put off the flesh. Don't gratify it anymore. This is Paul's encouragement to us. Or he says the same in Ephesians 4.22. He says, put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires and renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new, created to be like God. That always stuns me whenever I read it. We are called to put on the new, which is like God. We are called to God-likeness by the power of the Spirit in our lives. As we simply walk by the Spirit, we become more and more like our Father in heaven. And he says the same thing in Colossians 3, verse 8. He says, but now you must put all these away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put them away. It's the same theme in other parts of the New Testament. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, says in um, Hebrews 12, uh, verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, put off, apathomenoi, put off, put off, put off, every weight, every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Looking to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, 
Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him put off himself. Let him say no to the old. Take up his cross and follow me. This this is the great theme of Scripture over and over again. I always want to say it like this. It's the warm logic of the gospel. It's God's appeal to us. It's uh, the Holy Spirit's invitation to Christians. Put off the old. Embrace the new. Live by the Spirit. Don't live by rules. This is what my plan is. This is what I have for you. This is the gospel. Beautiful. It should encourage you. And this is my second point. God does the big thing. God has done the big thing, and we are to do the little things. God has done the big thing. It's possible now for us to live like this because God has done the big thing. Before we were saved, what does the scripture say? It says, we were blinded by the God of this world. We couldn't even see God. We couldn't even think of God because we were blinded by the God of this world. And the uncreated light of God came and shone his light into our hearts. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 4. It shined his light into our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's what it says, the scripture. So we couldn't even see God before we were saved. And then out of his own free will, out of his initiative, because of his love for us, God comes and he initiates salvation in our lives and he he comes and he says, John, I choose you. And John gets saved and suddenly John sees. And a whole new life opens up because John has seen the gospel in his life. He's seen the work of Christ in his life. He's done the big thing. He's made all of that possible through Jesus. We could never have done that. We can never initiate our own salvation. It's initiated by God, and he comes and he says, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. And then the Holy Spirit does something in our lives. We are made alive. We once were dead. We are made alive, and a whole lot of stuff starts to happen as we hear the voice of God, as we start to learn from his word, as he transforms us from the inside out. So what I'm saying to you is the proof that we are regenerate, the proof that we are born again, is acknowledging that no temptation comes from God, like I said, only every good gift comes from God, nothing evil comes from God, no temptation comes from God, that all comes from within us, or it comes from below, it comes from the devil, and the proof that we are regenerate is putting off those things and walking in the new. It's the proof. Very, very easy example. This is not theory. We need to apply this in our lives. Sexual temptation. Anyone in this room would like to say that they've never experienced sexual temptation? Anyone? Anyone? Good, because now we're getting honest with each other. Sexual temptation affects every single one of us, and that's why I'm saying this is a good news for you and me. (laughs) It's extremely good news. Sexual temptation doesn't come from God. Every good thing comes from God. Where does lust come from? It comes from below. It comes from the evil one. It comes from the war that wages within us. It doesn't come from God. And so what James is saying, as as the gospel has transformed our lives, proof that you are hearing his voice, proof that you are walking by the Spirit, is simply that you put off lust. You don't go there anymore. If you're a person that was into pornography, you don't go there anymore. Why? Because that's feeding the old man. It's not the new. That person's dead. Dead. There's a new creation. That person, in fact, wasn't even you. That wasn't even the real you. That was someone else that had your name. That person was dead. Absolutely dead. Had no relationship with Jesus. And yet now, 
Because of the gospel, because of Christ, you are alive. You are a new creation. You're a new person. And so you don't feed that old thing anymore. You dignify the new man, the new creation that you are. You give space for God to breathe by spirit into your life, and you enjoy the fullness of the new thing that God has for you. This is good news. This is not legalism. This is walking by the Spirit. This is the gospel. And I'm excited about the gospel. So you deny those things. You don't give them any space anymore. No, I won't dignify that. That's the old. I'm new. And what does uh, John say in 1 John 5 verse 3? This is the love of God. To keep the commandments of God and His commandments are not burdensome. It's not hard by the power of the Spirit, and He wants to do it in us. And I want to suggest to you this morning, I want to say to you, that's a way of living a life that is not filled with sorrow, that's not filled with shame, that's not filled with guilt. I know Jesus has taken all those things on the cross, but what follows sin in our lives? Always those things, shame and guilt. Always. Whenever we sin, we know shame and guilt. And Jesus has taken all his shame and guilt upon us on the cross. And he says this. He says, I want to give you not shame and guilt. I want to give you a sound mind. I want to give you peace, love, power. What does it say in uh, 2 Timothy 1.7? Those are things I want to give you. Well, those things come into your life as you simply put off the old and you walk by the Spirit and you give God space to do stuff in the new person. That is you. Man, it's good news. And it's a great encouragement. Why do I say it's a great encouragement? Because James is saying to be swift of hearing involves you doing something of putting off something of the old. And that should be a great encouragement because it shows that James understands us as we really are. I want to say there are two, two things that the devil does. Well, there are a number of things that the devil is an expert at. The first thing that he's expert at is putting guilt on people. Any guilt in your life comes from the devil. Does. And so James is encouraging us. He's saying, you are new. You are a new creation. You are a new creature. Enjoy the new you. Don't give space to the old. The old is dead, gone, crucified with Christ. Give space to the new. And perhaps, perhaps this morning you, you might say, well, you know, I'm realizing more and more, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the grace of God, I'm a wicked, corrupt person. I want to encourage you, if that's what you feel, it's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing. Because then we know the gospel. Yeah? Apart from him, my righteous deeds are as filthy rags. That's what the scripture says. Apart from him, there's no good thing in me. So I think we should, when we come to that realization, we should rejoice and know that God is bringing the gospel to our lives. The thing about those that are not saved is they actually don't think there's anything wrong. That's called self-righteousness. When you think there's actually no, nothing wrong. <laughs> That's self-righteousness. I'm okay, Jack. I'm not a bad person. That's what our culture tells us over and over. You're a good person. Actually, I'm not a good person. I want you to know this morning, in myself, the old Anthony is not a good person. He's not a nice person. <laughs> Maybe you said some of, the, some of you said the new one is not nice either. Well, that's okay. Well, I'm, being, I'm being transformed, all right? James is not calling us to self-righteousness, to think that we're okay. He's he's getting us to a point, he's saying, actually, apart from the grace of God, apart from Him, I am in desperate, desperate, desperate trouble, apart from Jesus. So he's saying, don't be self-righteous about sin, but you can joyfully do something about sin. 
You can look to the cross. You can look to Jesus. You look, look to the fullness of your salvation. And then what you can do, because God has done the big thing, you can put off the little things. And when you are tempted to speak badly of someone, you can, no, by the power of the Spirit, I will not do it. That is the old man. That is the old, I'm being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Yes? When you are tempted not to be generous, you can say, no, okay. That's the old man. The old man is stingy and only wants to provide for himself. The old man is insecure and full of fear about the future. So the old man will not give. But I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. I'm trusting God for my future. I'm trusting God for my provision. I will be generous in this life so I can store up some treasure for myself in heaven. Because I'm new. I don't value the world anymore. So I want to say that James, he hits two great sicknesses that are over the whole of humanity in one little sentence. That's what I love about the the scripture. It's so rich and so full. There's two common sicknesses that affect all of us as human beings. The one is moral decay. The other one is rampant wickedness. That's what it says in the second half of that verse. And I had to chuckle uh, when I read this, Eleanor, because the, the, word, the, the Greek word for rampant wickedness is kakias. It is. K-A-K-I-A-S. Kakias. <laughs> I think it's funny. God is saying, put off all kakias in your life. Put it off. Everything. All moral decay. All unrighteousness. Kakias. Put it off. And enjoy the new person that God has made you to be. That is incredibly liberating. It's funny, you can smile. Oh, well, maybe you don't have much. Oh, I think it's funny. Put it off. Everything that is, uh, tempts you towards evil, everything that, the tendency in you to do the wrong thing, put it off by the power of the Holy Spirit. All moral decay, all sensuality. Now, James says two things. He says, if we can put off sexual temptation, and if we can put off anger, if we can control our mouths, control how we speak, and we can be sexually pure, we are perfect. That's what James says. Why? Because it's a summary of the, the summary of all the sickness of humanity. Sexual temptation and an inability to control your emotions are the root of everything that is wrong in our lives. Everything. And so he's just saying, all our human weaknesses can be summarized in those two things, so put it off. Put it off by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lay aside all of those things. And then he continues, and I'm reaching the end now. He says, we must continue to receive with, with meekness the word of truth that is implanted in our hearts. Continue to receive with, with meekness the word of truth. I love the Greek here. Dekomai. To receive. The Greek word is dekomai. It, it means to welcome. It means like when someone comes into your home and they are visitors that you love, you welcome them. You say, come, come into my house. Make yourself at home in my house. My house is yours. My home is yours. Your family, come in and be at home with me. That's what the scripture is saying. That's what James is saying. That's what we do with the word. We welcome it into our house, into our, the home of our hearts and say, you are welcome here. You are welcome here, word of God. Take root in my heart. Do whatever you want to do with me. Deck on my, I welcome you in. Man, it's powerful. And he's saying, 
We receive with meekness, with humility, the Word of God that is already implanted there. It's in us forever and ever. When you are saved and the Word of God comes and resides in your heart and you know Jesus, that's it. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, that's why Paul says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, when it came into your heart, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as the Word of God, what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you. Receive it as the Word of God. It's implanted. It doesn't get ripped out again. It's implanted. And what does Jesus say? He says to his disciples in John 15, he says, verse 3, Already you are clean because of the Word of God that is in you. Because of the Word that I've spoken to you. So that raises a very interesting question that I would like to conclude with. Why does James say we must continue to receive with meekness the Word of God that is already implanted there? Surely if it's there already, we don't have to continue receiving it. Surely. It's a very good question. If it's already in us, if Jesus is saying that you're already clean by the word that is in you, why does James say, carry on receiving the word that is already in you? Why does he say that? Well, I want to suggest to you that the answer is in what I've been trying to say to you this morning in the title of this message. Do not dignify the old man, but dignify the new man. That's the answer. Dignify your regenerate state. Dignify the born again. Dignify what God has done in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christians show that we are regenerate, that we have been born again by continuing to receive the Word of God, by continuing to hear His voice, and when we hear His voice, we respond quickly. That's proof that we are born again. And that's what Peter means in 2 Peter, verse 1, Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, make your calling and election sure. That's what he's saying. He's saying, continue to respond to the Word of God that's in you, that's planted there, that's bearing fruit. G- give, give dignity to that Word. Encourage that Word. That's what he's saying. You are new. Let your behavior follow the new creation that God has made you to be. And you do that simply as you walk by the Spirit, as you hear His voice. And so I've said this before. I want to say it again. Michael Eaton, walk by the Spirit spirit, deliberately and you will fulfill all the requirements of righteousness indirectly. You don't have to have Moses telling you not to kill when you're walking by the Spirit. You don't have to have Moses telling you that you mustn't lust after someone else's wife when you are walking by the Spirit. Yes? It's, 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 this is beautiful. This is the gospel. There's no rod on your back. There's no whip. There's no one saying, I'm going to punish you. I mean, that was, that, that was the Mosaic law. If you broke it, you were punished. Now, there's an invitation from God. The gospel invites us and says, walk by the Spirit, and you will fulfill all of that anyway, and you will enjoy it, and the fruit in your life will be patience, kindness, love, a sound mind, not the spirit of fear. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Just walk by the Spirit. That's God's invitation. Walk by the Spirit, and He will do all of that. Uh, we know, too, from Ephesians that uh, the, the Bible says we're in a war between the flesh and the Spirit and the world. And what James is encouraging us is saying, don't let the flesh win. Don't let the world win. The new creation. Let the new creation in you begin to shine through. That's why Paul encourages us again in Colossians 3 verse 2, and he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
Live for eternity. Set your mind on that. Set your mind on what God's destiny is for your life. Not on now. Not on the temporal. Not on the fact that you, are, you, are, you, are, you haven't seen breakthrough and you're still trusting God for a job. Don't look to that. Look to his provision. He's a good shepherd. He's a good father. He's going he's to come through. Live with eternity in mind. And that's why Jesus says, Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, put away all things that are contrary to the new life that is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why James says, the word that's implanted in you, with humility, keep on receiving that word. Keep on hearing that word. Keep on responding to the word. That's the appeal of the gospel. Always, always, always to you and I. To me and to you. So, you don't have to keep on being born again. <laughs> born again, again, and again. You know, guys go to meetings and they've made a commitment to Christ and the preacher says, you must come forward. So they go forward again. And then they stumble and do some things in their lives and they feel guilty, so they go forward again. And then they go forward again. And they keep on going forward again and again and again. You don't have to go forward again and again and again. The Holy Spirit, when you receive Jesus for the first time, you are alive on the inside, and the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning. And I want to say this, if you are backslidden, if you know this morning that you are far from Him, I don't care how far you have fallen from Him, that little coal in your heart never, ever goes out. It's never extinguished. Never. It is always burning. And you might not be able to see it, but it's always burning. It's always there. And James's encouragement to you is if you want to see that thing fanned into flame, this is what you do. Everything that is morally filthy, you put it off. <laughs> and then you allow the Holy Spirit to burst that into life in your heart again and fan it into flame, fan it into flame, fan it into flame. The fire of the Holy Spirit can, is always can be encouraged and always stirred up in your life. That's why Timothy says to Paul, stir up the gift that is within you. Don't let it go out. Stir it up. There is something for you to do. It's a little thing. Stir it up in your life. That's why Peter says, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up, to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm reminding you who God has made you to be. You're not that old person anymore. That selfish, stingy, bad-mouthed, foul, angry person. You're not that anymore. You're a new creation. Peter says, I'm reminding you. I want to stir the new up in you. I want to remind you by the power of the Holy Spirit, stir that up within you. That's good news. No matter how much you've sinned, no matter if you're sitting here this morning and you feel so far from God and you just think these words, are, I just wish he would stop. It's just like a clanging gong. It's just going on. Why doesn't he just stop? I don't feel anything. I want to encourage you, you might feel that this morning, but I want to encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit, even that's where you are, God can fan into flame the tiny little coal of your heart so that it bursts open. And you might, you might, say, you might be sitting here this morning saying, I once felt close to God. I feel far, far from Him. My heart for the church was once warm. My heart for the church is cold. I used to be a generous person. I don't give, I've never give, I haven't given a cent to the church for years. That's the signs of backsliddenness, my friends. And I'm not, I'm not here to beat anyone up. I'm just saying to you, open your heart to the Holy Spirit and let Him rekindle that flame that is there. It's always been there. It's never gone out. Never. He's not taken salvation away from you. It is always, always, always sure. We are. Salvation is secure in Him. When you have backslidden, all you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I put these things off. You've made me a new creation. I understand that. Now I'm going to walk by this word. Help me. Help me. And you surround yourself with friends that encourage you. 
who love the church, who love God's people. You can't love God's people and not be part of a local church. Man, let's grow up. Surely, Paul says, I don't want you to remain babes anymore. Grow up into the fullness of Christ. Let's encourage each other. <laughs> oh. How long have I been going on? Okay. And then he says, this word can save your soul. That's the final little phrase. This word can save your soul. What does he mean by that? Well, I just want to simply say to you this, that James is reminding you and I, as born-again believers, that the ultimate purpose of God's word, that first brought us to salvation, is going to save us. That's what he's reminding us. Remember I did that thing on, uh, on common grace and saving grace? That saving grace does for us what common grace can't do. Remember? So he's reminding us of that. He's saying the word. That's the uncreated light of God. It's the, it's the saving grace, the word that comes to us. It does for us what common grace can't do for us. Only saving grace can save us. God does the big thing. <laughs> we do the little things. And so he's reminding us. He's just saying, I want to remind you, that word that's in you, it's going to save, it's, that's what saves you. The word of Christ, Jesus, inside your heart, that's what saves you. I want to remind you of that. It's still powerful. It's still, it's implanted in there. It's going to bear fruit. And then he says, what you need to do is the little thing, lay aside your temper. <laughs> lay aside living for yourself. Start living for other people. Give yourself away. Stop justifying yourself, saying that you're always right. No, you're wrong. <laughs> yes? I'm wrong. I'm not saying this in a way of celebration of anyone. I'm wrong. I've, I've had to say in my own life, God, I've been so wrong about so many things. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I think God can deal with that when we say sorry. When we keep saying, I'm okay. I don't need you. I'm actually right. Our heart is hard. God's not going to beat your door down. <laughs> he doesn't do that. And his encouragement to us is, just open your heart. Say, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. And then the fire, that little coal, begins to... <laughs> until there's a big flame. And I want to say to you, maybe you don't have any joy. I want to say to you, the joy that you once experienced, you can have it again. The voice of the Spirit that you once heard clearly, you can hear again clearly. Maybe your heart is cold. You don't feel anything in your heart anymore. I want to say your heart can once again beat passionately and on fire for God with His love, with a holy passion that will set you on fire and your friends on fire and your family on fire. You'll have a love again for His church. Maybe your love for the church has gone cold. I want to say God can rekindle the love for His church, His bride again. And James says that word that's already in you, it's going to save you. See, the Word of God always deals with our souls. It always deals with our souls. It deals with what we cannot deal with. The Word of God deals with that. And I want to say to you, by the Spirit, there's so, much, there's so many new horizons for you and I. If God can save us from sin and bring us into a new kingdom, how much more can He give you new vision for your life? How much more can He open up something for your life that is incredibly large and big? And when you look to the horizon, you can just say, God, I can't believe you've got all of this for me. It comes by the Spirit. It comes as those things are fanned into flame in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's promise is this to His church, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no eye has, yeah, has heard, nor the heart of man imagined 
what God has prepared for those who love him. And then it carries on and says this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. It comes by walking by the Spirit. It doesn't come by following rules. It comes as you hear the voice of God daily and he speaks to you and you say, yes, Lord, I'll quickly obey that. I'll do it. It's you speaking. And it says the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Imagine what would happen to this church. Imagine what would happen to this church if all of us would receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted Word of God. I'm telling you, there would be revival. <laughs> there would be revival. God is true to His Word. If we all received it meekly and just said, God, I'm, today, I'm just going to do whatever your Spirit says. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy it quickly. There would be revival. The coldness of your heart and my heart would be transformed like that. It's interesting, as we've been speaking about revival, I saw this this week. Evan Roberts, remember the Welsh revival? He preached four things. He preached this. Be separate from all sin, especially unforgiveness. Be quick to forgive people. These things won't bring revival, but we're certainly not going to have revival without these things. If there's unforgiveness in the church, the church is never going to be revived. Two, renounce all doubt in your life. That's what Evan Roberts preached. Renounce all doubtful things. Just put all your eggs in God's basket. All your trust in His basket. All of your stuff in God's gospel basket. Don't trust other things. Those things just lead to doubt. Thirdly, he said, be instantly and constantly obedient to the Holy Spirit. Whatever God tells you to do, obey. Quickly. Four, and confess all that you've been made a part of. In other words, confess Jesus. Confess Him. He is the fullness of your life. He's the fullness of salvation. He's given you all that you need for life. In other words, dignify the new man, not the old one. So, I want to say to you as a church, this is what God has for us. This community of faith. Let us all become those that dignify the new man, who God has made us to be, the new creation. God has done the big thing. We do the little things. Whatever the little thing is for you. For me, I know what my problem is. I can't control my tongue. That's my problem. I always say too much. <laughs> okay, so now you all know my problem. What's your problem? We've all got a problem. None of us are perfect. We've all got problems. Until Jesus comes back, we're all going to have problems, all right? But we can become those that are quick to respond when the voice of the Spirit speaks to us. And we say, yes, God, I hear you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey. And then the fire of God is kindled. The fire of God is kindled. And I want to pray that this church will become on fire again. I'm grateful for all that God has done. We've had great adventure in the last 10 years. But you know what? There's a whole lot more. <laughs> I want to pray that God would set this church on fire. That means every one of you. That means me as well. That we'd just be on fire for him. That revival would come in our hearts. And the revival that touches our hearts would touch our family and touch our community and touch our friends. This nation. And perhaps you're saying to me this morning, and I do feel, you know, I don't, you know, maybe you do feel, do feel backslidden. Maybe you feel far from God. You know what? The best thing to do is just to admit it to yourself. And say, yes, Jesus, there have been other priorities in my life. There have been. And I'm sorry. Now, can I just ask you to help by fanning into flame my heart that's grown cold? Lord, I admit, my heart is cold. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read your words. My job is far more important to me than your kingdom. 
I'd rather watch sport than get up and pray. You know, these are the excuses I've used in my life. So I'm not accusing anyone. I'm just saying this is the reality. Unless we get to that place of saying, God, I need you. We're just going to meander into the future. Or we can be revived into the future. 